0: And then jump into Hebrews this morning. So let's start with a word of prayer as we get settled in. And Dale, would you please lead us?
1: Lord, to meet as the body of Christ, Lord, we thank you as believers, Lord, that you didn't um, leave us to do this on our own, but you gave us the body to come um, alongside one another, Lord, and that you gave us the instruction to not forsake the gathering, Lord, so I just pray that you fill our hearts with worship, Lord, give Pastor Dave the words to speak during Sunday school mm-hmm. and later on during sermon, Lord, and just fill our hearts with your, with your joy, Lord, and just with your, let us be amazed by your majesty, Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray. amen. Amen.
0: Well, again, we'll give you some slack this morning since it's been two weeks since we've been together in 2 Timothy, but as we were kind of wrapping up chapter 4, which we know was Paul's last letter, and it's his last chapter. It's his last words, really, because he knows he's going to be executed very soon. And so what was he able to say as he looks back at his life, and especially the last 30 years of being a believer and being an apostle? What was he able to say about where he's at? What, What has he done? Remember the three phrases? Finish the
1: race. He
0: finished the race. All right, what else? Fought the good fight. He fought a good fight. And what else? Faith. He kept the faith, which either means he kept believing himself as a believer. He persevered in the faith and or the faith, as in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints in Jude 3. that. This body of truth, he has kept intact. Instead of compromising it or selling out in any way, he's been faithful that way. So then we ask the question, how will we be able to say that at the end of our lives? And I referred to Kyle Molnix's email. That's a hint. So it's been two weeks, so that's all right. Remember, he used to send out an email that said, pray that by God's grace, we may be able to say that at the end of the week. I fought the fight, I've kept the faith, run the race. In other words, we don't just get to when the doctor says, you've got about two weeks left, and then we start running, and we start fighting, and we start, (laughs) you know, (laughs) keeping the faith, and I, whew, okay, I did that right at the end. It's like, no, this is week by week, month by month, year by year, over a lifetime, by God's grace. It's, and we compared it to, like, if, if you have got a dentist appointment tomorrow, you can brush and floss the rest of the day and tomorrow, but it's not going to make up for the last six months or a year since you've been there last. But if you kind of stay at that on a regular basis, you don't have to worry about going to the dentist tomorrow. And if we are staying faithful by God's grace alone, enabling us week by week, year by year, then there's not the panic at the end. It's like, no, I know by his grace I I have been faithful. So any comments or questions about that? Okay. How did Demas start and how did he finish? Okay, so that's not someone who kept the faith and finished his race and (laughs) fought a good fight. He bailed and would seemingly indicate he didn't have the real thing according to 1 John 2.19, in terms of they went out from us for they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out from us, and or that it might be seen they were never really of us. So, looked good, looked like he had the real thing, Bales. you know, maybe God did something to bring him around, but it would appear that his heart was not right. And then, how did Mark start out, and how did he finish? AKA John Mark.
1: It started out poorly, won the race.
0: That's right, Judy. That's right. So. Remember he was called to be on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and went home for whatever reason. We don't know why, but when it was time for the second one, Paul says, I don't want to bring him. (laughs) And Barnabas says, yeah, give the kid a second chance. And there was such a sharp division, there was now two mission groups. Uh, Paul took Silas, and Barnabas took Mark. And now they doubled the forces, but it looked like, at least from Paul's con- was concerned, this guy just doesn't have what it takes. But what does he say about Mark now, at the end of his life? He's useful. He's useful. So isn't that an interesting contrast? Just verses away from each other, one guy starts out looking really good and washes out. One guy looked like he washed out at the beginning and ended up really good. So there's hope, if you've ever blown it. And there's a warning. Not to, 1 Corinthians 10, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It could be Demas. Unless God keeps you, or God keeps me, we'll be all Demases before the day's over. So Any comments or questions on Mark and Demas? Okay, well, let's read the last part of 2 Timothy 4. Would somebody please read 16 through 22? 2 Timothy chapter 4, 16 through 22.
1: At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet, uh Prisca, and uh, Aquila, and the household of Onciferus, Erastus remained at Corinth. And I left Trump, Trump him, him, who was ill. Miletus, do your best to come before winter. Ebulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudent and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you, Spirit. Praise be with you.
0: Okay, thank you. Nothing like throwing you on the bus with all those names, right? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> did know what else sign up. <laughs> So what old song or two does verse 16 remind you of? I thought of two. One is, do thy friends despise forsake thee? They did. He's not talking about the world here. He's talking about the other believers in Rome on my court date didn't come to the courtroom to, for moral support or to give character witness or anything else. They all bailed. <laughs> Here I am by myself. Or was he by himself? Who's there?
1: God.
0: The Lord himself is there with them. So do your friends despise forsake thee? Yes, but Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So we hang on to him. Or another one, friends may fail me, foes assail me, he, my Savior, makes me whole. So the, the hymn writers are very aware of the reality that people can and do let us down. Paul knew that very firsthand, and he says, but Jesus never fails. Jesus is always with me. Jesus strengthened me, kept me going, even though everybody else was gone. What is, or why is Paul confident he's going to make it to heaven? From these verses, I mean, obviously there's lots of other texts, but in these verses, what do you see? Says the Lord will bring him safely. Yeah. Ultimately, the Lord's going to get me there safely, and and so here's this twofold thing. Remember, we talked about departure. He said, in where is it? The time of my departure is at hand. So, and that the imagery is. I'm getting on a ship, the anchor's been hoisted, the ropes have been untied, they're getting ready to sail, and that's me, I'm getting ready to sail from this life into the ocean of eternity, and no evil deed will sink me, the devil, my past sins, nothing will sink me, because the Lord himself will get me safely to the heavenly kingdom, so that's his confidence, and that's our confidence, it's not... I've been so faithful. I ran that race. I qualified. It's like my only hope is Jesus bringing me safely to his kingdom. And what's the appropriate response?
1: To him be the glory.
0: To him be glory. And then the last verse is grace be with you. So by his grace for his glory. That's where we get stuff like that. (laughs) It's right in texts. Everything's by his grace. That's how I got here. And I'm going to get to heaven. He gets the glory for it because he did everything. So any comments or questions on that last part of 2 Timothy? Might be worth making one observation. Look at the relationship between I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me. What, it, what does that remind you of, or who does that remind you of that argues that same way?
1: David. David, that's
0: right, Ed. What, what did David say about lions and bears? Yes, and then one extra piece. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Lord rescued me. He will rescue me. And Dave, Paul is arguing the same way. He's brought me through all this trials, including whatever the lion is. There Maybe literally lions, maybe lion as in the devil who seeks about like a roaring lion. Um, Maybe just a reference to Nero or somebody else, but I've, the Lord's been faithful to deliver me this far from every evil, and he will keep rescuing me from evil, even on that journey into the ocean of eternity, because he's going to get me safely all the way home. So I, it's just a beautiful end of the chapter, and he had already said, I know whom I have believed in and persuaded he's able to keep me and keep that what I've committed him against that day, and here he's kind of saying it again in a different way. God's. Brought me this far. He's going to keep me. So any comments or questions? All right, we're going to start the book or letter of Hebrews. No, I do not know who wrote it, but God does. Everybody asks, who wrote it? So let me just read a paragraph from one of the commentaries I have by Peter O'Brien, just to kind of set this up. And we're going to be in Hebrews for a while, because it's a long book, 13 chapters. Hebrews is a magnificent New Testament document. It is carefully constructed and beautifully written, theologically profound, and powerfully argued. It challenges our understanding of reality and makes us ponder a world in which the unseen is more real, more powerful, and more attractive than that which can be seen and touched. The letter that wonderfully portrays Jesus as son of God and great high priest who is both human and divine, the crucified and exalted one, also makes stringent demands on its readers in relation to Christian discipleship. It summons believers, just as it did in the first century, to unqualified commitment, unflagging perseverance, and a willingness to suffer for one's faith. For contemporary readers, however, Hebrews is one of the most difficult New Testament books to understand. And as a result, it has often been neglected. At a personal level, Christians throughout history have been unsettled by the warning passages of the book, since they seem to contradict assurance and promises elsewhere. So I know for me as a young Christian, I had a hard time with Hebrews for two reasons. One, I kind of thought, well, I'm not Jewish. And so it doesn't really have anything to say to me. Um, And two, it was like, I don't know what to do with those if you fall away or. He was like, so what do I do with that? So I was a little confused. And maybe you've been a little confused. Like, what do I do with this letter of Hebrews? I know there's good stuff in it. I know it's the Bible, but I'm not sure what to make of it. So Lord willing, as we walk through it, we'll see it's not just for Jews anymore. It never was. And that those warning passages are real. <laughs> we need to take them seriously. And I think we even talked about this a few weeks ago. God uses means like warnings to keep us in the faith. Um, Oh, I just read this week, somebody is suing whoever makes GPS because there was a bridge in North Carolina that had collapsed. Anybody see this story? Okay, Lynn saw it. So there's this bridge that collapsed, but it wasn't owned by the county or the state it was on private property and that, that whoever owned the private property had gone bankrupt so it's it just nobody's fixing the bridge but gps still thinks it's there and this guy drives oh. dies oh my gosh cuz the bridge isn't there okay so if there was a warning that said bridge out use detour that would keep you from going into the river right? Warnings preserve us from the danger they warn against. So if there's a warning, don't desert Christ. That warning is God's means of keeping you from abandoning your faith, if you're real. So warnings shouldn't scare us. I mean, they should sober us. And we say, oh, Lord, keep me. But we don't have to be Oh, what do we do with Hebrews 6? Oh, what do we do with Hebrews 10? They're fine. <laughs> it's okay. If you're a believer, you'll be just fine. So, so that's an introduction to Hebrews. So stay tuned, stay with us. For the next Talibri months, we do it. So let's read the first three verses. Hebrews chapter 1.
1: to go to the fathers and the prophets many portions in many ways in these last days is spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world and he is the radiance of his glory the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he made purification of sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of okay
0: wow how's that for a sentence about who Jesus is Um, So let's start with, what is a prophet? It says God (laughs) spoke to the prophets. Who are the prophets, or what is a prophet? Someone sent
1: to speak on God's
0: behalf. That is a great definition, yes. So someone who speaks with God's authority, on God's behalf, has a message from God and so literally hundreds of times in the Old Testament we see the phrase thus says the Lord I've got a direct communication from God himself this is what God says to his people or to Babylon or to whomever God speaks and he uses prophets to do so and those writings are recorded so can you think of a verse that talks about that that we looked at when we talked about the inspiration of scripture a few weeks ago. I'm not gonna call you Matthew, that was just a head scratch, I know. How about Second Peter 121? Second Peter 121.
1: For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. They were carried
0: along by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So that's why this book is not just a human book with human opinions and human authority. It's God spoke through the Holy Spirit, through men, to give us the scriptures. And so God is there. He's not silent. He does reveal himself to us and gives us true information about himself. But what is... What does Hebrews add to that? Okay, we've already heard from God through prophets, but what now?
1: Through his son.
0: Yes. So the ultimate revelation of God is through his son, Jesus. Um, So let's look at some verses about that. Let's go to John 1. John chapter 1. So we'll do verse 1 and then verse 18, please. Verse 1 and verse 18 of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. <clears throat> and then verse 18, please. It's right after 17. No.
1: <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> we know from verse 14 the word is Jesus, right? The word became flesh, dwelt among us. That's, so we know we're talking about Jesus. But what an interesting first phrase. In the was the word. Well, what's a word? What do we use words for? Communication. <laughs> so very first phrase is, in the beginning, was the ultimate expression, the ultimate communication, the ultimate revelation of God, because he is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, and he becomes flesh, dwells among us. And so even though we've never seen God at any time, this revelation from God has explained him. The word we, it gives us the word exegete, if you've ever heard that fancy word. <laughs> Jesus has exegeted God the Father for us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have that kind of information. All right. Also, John 12. Would somebody read John 12, 49 and 50? I speak for God. What I say comes right from God. To listen to me is to listen to God. And then, last for now, John 6, 66 through 68, please. John 6, 66 through 68. sing that when we say, um, what is it, the song? Yeah, it's like ours. Where else could we go, Lord, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. That wasn't just a cool song that Sovereign Grace wrote, it's right out of John 6. Jesus has the words of eternal life because he is the ultimate prophet from God, he's the ultimate revealer of God, the ultimate communication or expression from God, and so what would be an appropriate response in light of that being true? Okay, since you need a hint, let's go to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, this is at the Transfiguration, verse 5. Matthew 17, 5.
1: While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son
0: with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Does that sound like a response? If this is if Jesus is God's own beloved Son, through whom he speaks as the final word, listen to him pay attention. Follow what he says. Um, That's the positive way. In Acts 3, it's stated in a more negative way, but also a good reminder as well. Acts 3, 22 and 23.
1: Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the, that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Okay, so who do you think that's talking about? <laughs>
0: Raising up a prophet like Moses who spoke with God face to face from among the people, another Jewish person. <laughs> You need to listen to him, and then adds the consequence, if you don't, you'll be destroyed. Which is obviously a pretty strong word, but it's true, right? If Jesus has the words of eternal life and you ignore what Jesus says, then have yeah, their consequences. So any comments or questions on Jesus as the ultimate prophet or the ultimate revelation of God? And this comes into play, of course, when you think about Muslims, for example. A good Muslim acknowledges Jesus is a prophet. But Muhammad is a more important prophet. Okay. Hebrew says he's the final word from God. Muslims say, well, there's more. There's something better and bigger than Jesus named Muhammad. So those truth claims can't both be right or other people that are willing to accept him as a prophet, including Jews. Jews are willing to say Jesus was a prophet. We, Some of them are. But he's the final prophet, and he's the final word from God. Okay, what is Jesus' relationship to the universe according to these first three verses of Hebrews? He's creator. So can you think of a couple other verses that... Remind us, Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Okay, what does that say?
1: Uh, He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, whereby all things were created in him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things were created through him and for him. And 17 says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together.
0: So he created everything there is, what you can see and what you can't see, and not only did he create them, all things were created for him. Everything exists for Jesus Christ. Isn't that a statement? Okay. And then there's another text that was really close to the one we read earlier from John. Remember one, that one? John 1. What does that say,
1: Patrick? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was anything made that was made. So no exceptions.
0: Anything that exists, exists because Jesus made it. Okay? Okay, so not only is Jesus the creator of the universe, what else does it say about his relationship to the universe?
1: It's upheld by his power.
0: Yeah. Yeah, how how does he do it? Word of his By the sheer word of his power. Tom? Ever wonder
1: why it was word of his power instead of the power of his
0: word. Same thing. Yeah. So the fact that the planets orbit in space the way they do and electrons and neutrons and things orbit around the nucleus the way they do and that, this world just doesn't go and explode into chaos is because Jesus speaks to keep the universe going and you going for another day. That's how powerful he is. It's not just a little carpenter from Nazareth that you know could build stuff. He upholds the whole universe and he just does it by his word. And Brett already read it, but read it again. What's 1:17 say in Colossians 1? That's a good thing not to do.
1: All things are created through him. Okay. Uh, he, uh, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together.
0: All things hold together in him. So, do we have any people that are really good in physics? Okay, Gary oh, or John. Yeah, That's right. John, you're a physics guy too. So, between the two of you, let's go back to molecular st- structure. Okay, so electrons are negative right? And something else is negative, but why don't they repel, and why do they stay together? They call it the strong force The strong force? The
1: strong force
0: and weak force. Okay. So according to this verse, who's the strong force? Jesus is holding those molecules, guys, because scientifically they shouldn't stay together, Right? If opposites attract and likes repel, in theory, atoms shouldn't stay together, but they do. And you could say, it's the strong force. Well, that sounds like Star Wars. (laughs) 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 Or you could say, Jesus does that every day. All right, and then one other comment about his relationship to the universe in those verses.
1: In verse 2.
0: Yes. Hebrews 1, verse 2. We haven't gotten this phrase yet. We already got that. He's heir. He's heir. What's an heir? Yeah. So somebody who inherits something. So, for example, uh, not long ago, Prince. The person was Prince Charles for like 70 years or whatever, uh, was the heir of the British throne. Now he's King Charles III. And when he became king, he became the owner of roughly $4 billion in assets. Thousands of acres of land, castles, the crown jewels, just tons of money. He was the heir of all that, and he became the possessor of all that because that was rightfully his as heir. And so Jesus is the heir of what? All things. things. Everything in the universe belongs to Jesus. So let's look at some verses like that. Psalm 2. Somebody look up verse, Psalm 2, 7 and 8.
1: I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today have I begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession.
0: Okay. So this is, we know from New Testament text, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, God said to me, You're my son, asking me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. So you've got the whole world. Give it to you as your inheritance. Matthew 11:27. 27. Matthew 11, 27. All oh, things
1: have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Okay.
0: So that first phrase, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. So not just the nations, just pretty good inheritance, (laughs) but all things in the universe and then one more is John 3:35 somebody read John 3:35 Father loves
1: the Son and placed
0: everything in his hands everything or all things given to him okay so, any questions on Jesus' relationship to the universe? Okay, and then last, what do, do these verses say about Jesus' relationship to God? A couple phrases, actually three. The two are two are easy; one's more subtle.
1: He's the exact representation of His nature.
0: Okay, what does that mean, Gary?
1: Um, has the
0: same characteristics as a God. <clears throat> okay, good. He's the visible image of the invisible God, right? So, anybody remember what John fourteen nine says? And if not, you can read it. John fourteen nine.
1: To him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? To look? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can
0: you say, "Show us the Father"? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. It's quite a claim. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Um, or Colossians one that was also read earlier. He is the image of the invisible God. Um, and then, what else does it say about Jesus? in relation to God. So we already saw exact representation of his nature. What else is he? He's
1: at the right hand of God.
0: OK. I didn't know if everyone would catch that one. That is one. Yes. What does it mean to be at the right hand of someone, especially the right hand of God? Right, and what adjective could you put in front of the word authority? Highest, to be at the right hand of God is to be at a place of highest authority in the universe, right next to God. Um, so we'll come back to that as far as when he took that seat. Do you see the phrase, he is the radiance of God's glory? So he's the outshining of the brightness of the beauty and splendor of God. Let's read John 1.14. John 1.14.
1: And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth.
0: So we've seen glory. When we saw Jesus, we saw glory from God. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's read 3 through 6, please.
1: Bond bondservants for Jesus sake. for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the
0: face of Christ follow what's going on in that okay so before grace intervenes in our life we look at Jesus and what does Isaiah 53 say We saw nothing special about him, right? No form or comeliness that we should desire him. And Satan's blinding us from seeing him as the image of God. We just see a teacher or a prophet or a nice person or someone who is out of touch. We don't see the image of God when we look at Jesus. And then, what happens if we're a believer? Go ahead, Angela. So God does the same miracle he did on the first day of creation. Let there be light. There's light. Here's this dark soul that sees nothing when it looks at Jesus. God says, boom, let there be light. And your eyes are opened. I once was blind. Now I see. And now when I see Jesus, I see the glory of God in his face. Angela? Which is mind-blowing to me because here we are. We're looking
1: at all these glorious things about God and Jesus. And yet... As, as infinitely uh, glorious and mighty and majestic as he is, he chooses to reach down out of love for us and pour light into our hearts about mm-hmm. the knowledge of who he is. That's really my blowing to me that he would be so good to outpour who he is to us so that we can be saved and be worshipers. Right.
0: Amen. I like how you added and be worshippers. So that's who we're here to worship this morning. <laughs> Jesus says, John 5, 2, 3, um, for the Father, uh, this is the will of the Father, that all honor the Son as they honor the Father. Remember that? He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. So we are here to worship God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and we are here to honor Jesus Christ, his only Son, <laughs> who is the image of the invisible God and the creator of the universe and sustainer of the universe, and the glory of God in Bodily form and all these things we've been seeing in Hebrews and these extra texts, we're here to worship, not just have a little quiz later on who is Jesus. Oh, he's creator, he's you. Sit there, check, got it. Okay, we're here to worship, and this is fuel for the worship. This is why we are worshiping Jesus. Um, Did we get all the verses? I think we got them all. So then, last as we close, what is the significance of Jesus sitting down?
1: Go ahead, Aaron. He's finished it. He said right there in verse 3 when he had by himself purged our sins. We don't have a relationship without our sins being purged. Right.
0: So I love it. So let's go a little bit later in Hebrews. Time to be determined later, we'll get to Hebrews 10, and just look at this contrast in verse 11 and 12 of Hebrews 10.
1: So 10, 11, and 12?
0: But oh, Yeah, 10, 11, 12 will work, yep.
1: Okay, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 11. Chapter 10, 11, 12, yeah. Okay. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a sac- single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So you see the contrast? If you're an Old Testament
0: priest, you're standing all day long, same sacrifices day after day, and guess what? never can take away sins. Jesus did one sacrifice for all time. It was finished, and he sat down. So I think just the other day, and I were commenting about, you know, like a a young mom's work is never done. They never sit down, (laughs) right? (laughs) When you finally sit down, you (laughs) (laughs) But you rarely get to do that. Still, Lynn says it's still that way, Okay, Not just young moms. and that was a priest. And, and now Jesus did everything necessary. Everything was accomplished. The price was paid in full. He sat down, and not just to rest, but to take the position of highest authority in the universe at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So you hopefully you know this song. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. Right. So he had done it and that's why he took his seat above. It's finished. So we're here to worship our redeemer and our savior as well as our God and our creator and sustainer because he purchased us with his blood. Um, And that work was so complete that he sat down. So the work is finished. We don't have to add anything to it. So that sounds like a good place to stop any Last comments or questions before we go into worship? Okay, so Lord willing, we'll do the rest of chapter one and a little part of two, which is talking about Jesus' relationship to the angels, which might not have been, like, something you thought about all week. But in the midst of addressing that question, we're going to see a ton more truth about who Jesus is. Okay? So don't be distracted by, oh, I wasn't really thinking too much about how Jesus and angels relate to each other. It's like there's a lot of truth we're going to see in the next passage about Jesus. Yeah, we'll learn a little bit about angels, but we'll see a lot more about Jesus. So let's close in prayer. And Aaron, would you close us in prayer? Sure.
1: Father, we thank you. Amen.